Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of March 16th, 2020. On the show today, news, listener questions. And in our main segment, Jim tells us the story of Disney's first water coaster, the Crushing Gusher, and Walt Disney World's Typhoon Lagoon. Let's get started by bringing in the man whose next apocalypse movie script will have fewer scenes with the zombies and more fighting old people for toilet paper at Costco. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going reasonably well, Len. I mean, it's the morning after the European travel ban got announced. And it's interesting you bring up the toilet paper thing because Nancy is determined to score Purell. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Good luck with that. I keep pointing out, you know, there's this thing called soap and hot water. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely fine. The thing I'm waiting for after this, because everyone's going crazy for the hand sanitizers and everyone's washing their hands, I'm waiting for the epidemic of dry skin uh, after this, because I think the lotion people have an opportunity mm-hmm. that's being missed. There was a quote earlier this week uh, from Rahm Manuel, who, this was during his, his time in uh, the, the Obama White House, but basically what he said is, you shouldn't allow a good crisis to go to waste. Yeah, never let a crisis go to waste. It's there true. There you go. So. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Brian P., Bill O., and our own statistician, Steve Bloom. Plus longtime subscribers, M. Paria, Amy, the pediatrician, and Jen S. Jim, these folks are the stunt performers over at Splash Mountain. Anytime Br'er Rabbit doesn't hop, anytime Br'er Bear's butt doesn't shake, or the jumping water effects need a bit more jump. These are the folks literally pulling the strings to make those effects work in our happy place. All right, Jim, let's do the uh, the news. Quick COVID-19 update. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday morning, so the 12th. The parks are still operating normally. I will say that there are lots of hand-washing stations and hand sanitizers out now. These are the touchless ones too. So uh, if you've ever run a race at Disney or a major race anywhere, you've seen the ones that look like giant plastic water fountains with a foot-operated pump the water. Disney's got those going out uh, everywhere. And again, lots of hand sanitizers uh, all around the parks. They're definitely doing what they uh, what they can to help out there. Also, uh, uh, not unexpected uh, crowds are lower than we anticipated before all of this. Uh, this week, the week of the 9th, sorry, last week, the week of the 9th, this week, the week of the 16th are supposed to be the two peak weeks for spring break season. Obviously, there's uh, crowds are lower. We're also seeing, Jim, Maybe some signs of capacity reductions on the order of around 15% for rides. So we've been counting the number of people that are exiting Mm -hmm. key rides around Walt Disney World. And one of the things that we've been noticing is that compared to the peak levels for spring break that we saw two years ago, fewer people are exiting the rides right now. And that's that's an indication of capacity uh, cut. So something around 15% Mm. is what we're seeing. Okay. Totally understandable. Mm-hmm. In this context, right? Not not something that is uh, is over surprising. The thing I think that we're telling people is this: even though you think you're seeing fewer people in the parks, because there probably are fewer people in the parks than you're expecting, the wait times might not be correspondingly as low because of these capacity changes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and we've had that six foot distance suggestion, and. I've been hearing anecdotally, I have not been able to confirm this, but in the case of some attractions, what they've been doing is sending out a full car, spacing with an empty car. That, and that would explain a lot of things, yeah. yeah. I wonder about uh, theater presentations, because in California, they've now banned gatherings of more than 250 people. Yeah. 
And I wonder what, the, what that, that means for for theater shows because some of the some of the theater shows have a capacity well beyond they're indoors and have a capacity of more than seven hundred and fifty people. I wonder if that's exempt. I don't know what to tell you at this point. I mean, again, yeah. you know, we are in terra incognito. There's a, a lot yeah. of stuff that that's being invented on the fly here. Have you heard at all about what's been going on at Universal Studios Singapore? No, I haven't. Okay. Uh, this is the one major theme park in Asia that's remained open, and that's largely because of the Resorts World Sinesto. They have two enormous casinos associated with that project. So obviously you need people to go to the casino. So that theme park's staying right. open. They've altered both the backstage entrances, the way the team members come into that park. Likewise, they've reconfigured the main edge of the park. So mm -hmm. basically at both back of the house, front of the house, before you're allowed to enter the park, you encounter a security team member who is partnered with a member of the theme park's medical staff. Oh, and their temperature testing? Thermal scanning everybody who goes into the park. And evidently, anybody with a temperature of 100.4 and above is turned away. Mm -hmm. That's in place, and I wonder how many of the stateside parks are kind of eyeballing that as well. I think that might be that might be the, the, the logical move. Mm -hmm. And I think that would go a long way towards addressing concerns of a lot of people who are maybe concerned about their other uh, trips right now. If you can say that you know you're you're doing this mm -hmm. and you've got the sanitization stuff in effect. I think that might uh, that might help. It'll be interesting to see what uh, what Disney does there. I did note Jim that uh, this morning two cruise lines announced they were suspending operations Viking and Princess uh, for two months. Princess mm -hmm. kind of not unexpected because of what happened with their with their stuff. Uh, but Viking suspending all ocean and river going cruises for two months. You know if you you think just last night what happened with the NBA and literally five minutes after that, the NHL announced that they're reviewing, you know, they're, they're going to consider data and make yeah. a decision later today. I'm, right? I'm sure that the leagues are talking to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the uh, baseball's talking about playing games without audiences in April. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, that's April's still two weeks and change away. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, speaking of April though, it's worth noting that just last night, Tokyo Disneyland Resorts, the two parks there. Oh, that's right. They pushed off their opening of lands, right? Remember, they were shut down on February 29th. We were supposed to reopen for on March 15th. And last night, they announced that they were pushing off the reopening of the park to early April. And the cascade effect that that caused, that I guess April 15th was when the new Beauty and the Beast land was supposed to open. And now that's pushed off to mid-May. And I have to tell you, okay. my daughter, who deliberately bought a, a plane ticket to pee in Japan from May 1st to the 11th, isn't a happy camper. Right. Yeah, but she understands. Actually, we, uh, we were sending uh, Guy Selga, or Guy Selga was going, actually, okay. um, for as well. So that's uh, that's up too. Mm. Ella should call Guy. <laughs> I will suggest that. I mean, I'm, I'm still going to the parks, right? Uh -huh. And I've uh, I've checked with our employees whose job mm. is to be in the parks every day. And I've, I've said, you know, if you're not, don't feel comfortable going, don't go. I'm mm -hmm. still find something else for you to do. Everyone's taken, you know, appropriate precautions and stuff. I uh, personally, I mean, I think it's important to show people that uh, that Disney's doing everything possible mm -hmm. to keep the park safe. And I think, I think right now, especially we're going through the same feelings of uncertainty that we did during the financial crisis. And after nine 11, where mm -hmm. everyone was just trying to figure out what's going on and put things in context. We're in the, if you will, the fear cycle of this thing. Yeah. But I think like, I mean, it's travel professionals, right? It's important for us to to reassure people 
by showing them as much day-to-day normalcy, mm-hmm. you know, as we can, like, like no matter what's going on in the world outside, I'm still going to fight people to get in line for the Peter Pan float in Fantasyland, which is delicious. And I'm still going to tell you for the love of God that the studios needs better restaurants. I mean, that's, that's not going to change, right? Yeah. Regardless of what's going on in the outside world. <laughs> Some things, true. Jim, are constants, universal okay. constants. Okay. Speaking of uh, speaking of uh, bad timing, Jim, Universal's opening a hotel this week. <laughs> the Universal Endless Summer Resort Dockside Inn Suites. This is the the second half of their Endless Summer Resort. I think I talked last year about the first half, which yep. was the Surfside Inn and Suites mm-hmm. when it opened. I think back in is it June? Yeah, that sounds about right. Just to clarify here, though, that this is Phase One of Dockside. Phase One of the opening. Right. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah, so Dockside has 937 standard guest rooms and more than 1,100 two-bedroom suites. The standard room sleep four, the two-bedroom suites sleep six. Jim, but what's the phased opening? What part of it is opening, do you know? It's basically all the same complex. The difference is, again, this is the larger chunk. So they're shooting for full opening come September. But again, obviously, the situation has changed, you know, that, that we could be kind of revisiting the whole pop century situation for a bit speaking of pop century i mean i love universal's value resorts i think universal does a great job on these value resorts and when i stayed last year at endless summer Mm -hmm. at surfside i stayed in one of the two-bedroom rooms and again i I think i said it's not as big as a a disney family suite so the universal's two-bedroom suites are in 440 square feet they have a kitchenette there's a picnic style table there's a microwave. Uh, there is also one bathroom. Mm-hmm. And I think I said before too, two bedrooms is kind of a misnomer. It's one main room with two beds. Mm-hmm. And then there's a separate bedroom with uh, with another. It's about 65 to 80 square feet smaller than Disney's family suites. Also the one less bathroom. However, as of now, the pricing is anywhere from about 150 to about $250 cheaper per night. Mm-hmm. So a couple of nights of that pays for a lot of park admission. My big that- concern... Mm-hmm. with Surfside when I was there mm-hmm. was I wasn't sure whether the on-site dining was going to be large enough to handle peak crowds. The dining area at Surfside was kind of small. Now, the interesting thing will be, I think uh, Dockside opens tomorrow after this podcast goes out. We see how much of how much of the dining is open at Dockside. And so we'll have that report the following uh, next week on the the, for the show for the 23rd. Well, my understanding was that, that it was going to be fairly sizable, recognizing sort of the pulse issue, you know, to the effect of need to right. feed all those folks for breakfast and then, you know, them that came back. For everyone's going to be in the parks for lunch, right? And then everyone's going to come back for dinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll see. Jim, speaking of things that are opening, uh, Disney set the opening date for Avengers Campus, right? And, uh, and had a little bit more information about those attractions. Before we... Uh, uh, get started on this, though, uh, Jim, I wanted to do a special shout out to our listener, Ellie Del Sol, who's nine years old. Ellie's family is planning a trip out to California for the opening of Avengers Campus uh, this summer, Jim. So what can you tell Ellie and her family? Bring money. <laughs> you know, I think that was the big reveal. I, I don't know that Ellie's paying. Is she? Oh, is she? Geez. that's got to be quite a paper route. <laughs> no, the, the thing that got revealed yesterday, the, the Spidey bots, which are basically going to be California Adventures answer to the Droid Depot, you know, across the street. Ah, okay. So you can you can customize your your Spidey bot so it 
salutes Black Panther or Captain America or that sort of thing. So once again, clever personalized retail item that God help us. It's, oh, you don't want to put it in the cardboard box. You, you want to put it in your personalized satchel. Of course. What else is uh, what else is going on there? So they got Spider-Man ride, right? We've been talking about this for a while. Uh, yes, it has 3D glasses. But when you go to Thwip, so to speak, when you're helping Spidey capture all of these spider bots who have broken out of you know, the facility and are roaming through the city, you are just literally flicking your hand. And from what you see on screen, a string of webbing shoots out. And so it's, you know, you are having the authentic, the Spider-Man experience. And speaking of authentic, Tom Holland is in fact coming back and shooting film sequences and voicing the attraction. So you know, we get our modern generation uh, Spider-Man in the ride. But beyond that, whether it's the Pim's Kitchen with it, its new, fun, oversized food, or for that matter, shawarma, they're going to have a restaurant that serves shawarma. Oh, really? Shawarma? Yeah. Oh, I, well, I'm, I'm all for donor kebab in the parks. I was almost embarrassed that that was more exciting to me. Just always loved that scene at the end of of the original oh, right. they're, sit, they're sitting around a kebab place yeah well that's the thing i mean they're all beaten up from having you know fought you know off this, this attack on new york and just sitting around the table noshing on shawarma so now you get yeah. to do that all of the character encounters that are now sort of scattered around hollywood land are being mm -hmm. recentered back i mean you know we get meet and greets with ant-man of the wasp black widow black panther thor all of the guardians of the galaxy characters uh, captain america and captain marvel so that side of the park is going to get really quiet really fast because the center, the Marvel center of gravity shifts into the Avengers campus. When does the Black Widow movie come out? Uh, that comes out May 1st, though we were just talking about that over on the Marvelous uh, Disney podcast. And basically, Disney just does not have the option of doing for what, for example, uh, Sony did last week with uh, No Time to Die. They pushed off the release date of Bond 25 from... Right, uh, that was supposed fall, to, yeah. Yeah, it, it's opening here in the States November 25th now. And, and likewise, Columbia Pictures just yesterday announced that their Peter Rabbit sequel, which was you know supposed to open just before Easter, has now been pushed off to August 7th. Whereas Disney has, between now and Christmas, locked in you know, between... The 20th century, the, the Pixar films, the Walt Disney Animation Studios stuff. Right. Uh, there are 16 films. Yeah, with, they've got like two a month between now and the end of the year, right? And, and Lenny, it's the equivalent literally of an air traffic controller at O'Hare. You've got these jumble yeah. jets stacked up and it's not like, you, number 10 in line, go circle around. Well, not only that, but I mean, the movie operators, the theater operators rely on these blockbuster films coming out between you know, Memorial Day and say the, you know, the, the end of summer. They do, but we were just talking about, you know, Governor Newsom of California coming down on the whole barring 250 people from being in any one spot at the same time. And there's a lot of people who own theaters that, for example, people who bought tickets to Hamilton. Or when you think about how crowded a theater gets on its opening weekend, yep. it's going to get interesting. I wonder what this would do for uh, for direct-to-video. Like if Disney just says, you know what, we're going we're gonna to front load People were talking about just recently about the fact that we're not going to get a brand new set of Mandalorian till October of this year. Likewise, earlier this week, word just came down that the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which was supposed to be the next big series that they debut on Disney Plus, they shut down uh, their shoot in Prague and and brought the cast home out of an abundance concern, concern with yeah. Corona. 
So there was this concern about, you know, there's no big thing that will drive people to Disney Plus. There's no big hit series. Oh, if only we had content, Jim. If well, only we had content. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, where are we going to get that from? Yeah. I'm just saying they throw Jungle Cruise on there. That's what, July 25th? Yeah. I'm just saying. They break it up. They do it in two parts. Not necessarily a bad idea, Lynn. <clears throat> Disney, you know where to send the checks. There you go. All right, Jim, let's do a couple of uh, listener questions. Uh, Jeff writes in with a movie question. Mm-hmm. He says, I was in line for Seven Doors Mine Train last week, and I overheard a VIP tour guide talking to the group about the Pirates ride. They were discussing why it was their favorite ride and then started talking about the Redhead and the recent changes to the auction scene. He, the VIP tour guide said that they would notice that the face is a different style than all the others, and that's not a coincidence because we should expect to see the redhead featured prominently in a new Pirates of the Caribbean prequel movie that might be in the works. Have you or Jim heard anything at all about this? Jim, anything about a redhead prequel Pirates of the Caribbean movie? What I've heard, not necessarily prequel, but yes, the redhead character, in fact, they had a, a set of writers hired last year or thereabouts. And the idea was that obviously given Mr. Depp issues with, with his now ex-wife, he's kind of radioactive at the moment. But on the other hand, Disney does have this character that they love, mm-hmm. Captain Jack Sparrow. They've already established in on Stranger Tides that he had potentially fathered a child. And so the redhead character was actually supposed to be the daughter of Captain Jack Sparrow, oh, okay. who is now looking for her father. And again, evidently, the you know the idea was that, that in, in much the same way as the, the first films were, were sort of built around Mr. Turner and his search for his father, these next sets of, of movies, and again, that's the idea, they're setting up another trilogy, was sure. that, you know, here's Jack's daughter searching for him with the hope that, you know, if they do a wonderful adventure and, you know, and Mr. Depp shows up in the last five minutes of the movie, hopefully by then he and his legal troubles or his battle with his wife will be over and they can redeem the character. Unfortunately, that conceit, at least for now, is on hold. Like, evidently, they just could not get a script that satisfied them with the whole redhead Jack Sparrow's daughter. Idea. Right. That's tricky. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's hard to thread that needle though. Uh, so the company literally has pivoted to jungle cruise and the hope that this film will be a big enough hit when it, you know, it arrives in theaters this summer to then launch the company's next theme park based film franchise. Uh, but that okay. said, they've also hired another brand new set of writers to work on a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. So never say never. Yeah. We've talked about this before where studios want franchises to continue, whether it's side stories or sequels or prequels or whatever. Yeah. They've got a lot of money invested in the franchise. People mm-hmm. like the franchise. If they can keep this going, it's uh, it's important. Yeah. But they, the thing you mentioned about the script, I think is key here because, because they want it to be a franchise. Mm-hmm. It can't be, it's probably not going to be a one-off script they need the script needs to be able to set up mm-hmm. in the first movie something for a second and third movies and i think that's where the difficulty is right yeah you can you can write you can write one movie about anything mm-hmm. it's the can you write can you get three movies out of an idea and i think that's the tricky part i once got to interview ted elliott and terry Ruscio about the the pirates series and they literally did write the first curse of the black pearl as kind of a one-off i mean yeah the, yeah. the door was open to do further stuff but 
when it came time, Disney said, we need a sequel. They said, we literally had to watch that damn movie like 10 or 15 <laughs> times. <laughs> like, what can we pull out of this? <laughs> Looking for those threads to pull. Like, what, yeah. what can we still do? By the way, speaking of uh, sequels, I, uh, last night, uh, Laurel and I watched the, um, the movie yesterday about the, the guy who's the only person in the world who remembers the Beatles. Oh, uh, funny movie uh, throughout, but uh, speaking of uh, sequels, at the very uh, so the premise is that mm-hmm. one night something happens, mm-hmm. and that the rest of the world forgets about key concepts. Mm-hmm. So the entire musical anthology of the Beatles is one is one thing that everybody in the world forgets except this guy, mm-hmm. and uh, the existence of Coca Cola mm-hmm. is another. Also cigarettes, mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the, at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. he uh, I won't tell you how it ends, but he he's musing about the journey that he just went through, and he said, uh, you know, I kind of feel like Harry Potter after he defeats Voldemort, and mm-hmm. the character next to him said, "Who's Harry Potter?" <laughs> <laughs> basically setting up setting up oh. the prequel which i thought was great <laughs> okay not to, to give anything away but i love how they handled john lennon in that movie yeah yeah it was it was nice yeah i liked it i thought it was uh, i thought it was uh, that was a cute movie it, it things could have been better uh, a little bit better on it but uh Overall, it was very entertaining. It was a nice, it was a nice light movie to watch. And of course, you, you can't beat the soundtrack, right? Oh, no, no, no. I had this discussion a couple months ago mm. after the movie came out. And the question was, mm-hmm. like, how many great songs does a band need for you to consider the band itself mm. to be great, right? So like, like Prince, we could all probably name six or seven you know, yeah. fantastic Prince songs. Mm-hmm. Prince is a genius, no doubt. The Beatles, right? Mm-hmm. I think I, we, off the top of our head, we named 30 songs that oh, we, easily. the rule yeah. was if the song came on the radio, would you turn it off mm-hmm. or would you go to another station? Mm-hmm. And I could name like 30 Beatles songs mm-hmm. off the top of my head that I wouldn't change the channel for. Same thing with me for Van Halen, my favorite band. You know, I could name 30 songs that I would, that I would listen to. Although I think I actually had more Beatles songs that I liked than Van Halen songs, which is ironic. Um, Speaking of Beatles, though, did you see the announcement at the shareholders meeting that the Peter Jackson documentary about the Beatles, Disney's releasing that? No, fantastic. Again, the soundtrack's going to be amazing on it, right? Yeah, well, that, you know, there are those of us who were still never quite got over that Sony Imageworks project the, when they were going to redo Yellow Submarine as a one of those 3D uh, performance oh, capture movies. They should skip the 3D, just give everyone acid and let them watch the movie. <laughs> Everyone drop a little bit of LSD on the popcorn. <laughs> Go watch Yellow Submarine. I think, by the way, that's what the Beatles intended. So Dang. not entirely off base on that comment. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Remember, that's our new sponsored segment, Leonard. Exactly. Okay. All right. Back on to uh, the, new, uh, the listener question. Eddie Ginsburg mm-hmm. shares uh, through Twitter. Uh, Tell people not to try and get a Rise of the Resistance boarding group from inside the Mickey ride, ride building. The cell reception is horrible. So this is the new Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Don't try and get a, a Board of the Resistance boarding group in there. Cell reception is horrible. Nearly cost me my chance to ride. I've actually tried this though. Um, the Wi-Fi is pretty decent inside okay. the building. So if you can't get good cell phone reception, Wi-Fi still an option. Was there any particular area within the queue that had better wi-fi or just it's a relatively it's a relatively short queue it looks a lot like the great movie right on the inside still the queue is the queue is definitely shorter i i don't think it would be as much of a problem with wi-fi and i think part of the reason for the decent wi-fi mm-hmm. is because it's a trackless ride system they need really good networking in there mm-hmm. so they've got tons of equipment in there for the whole thing makes sense okay uh finally kevin writes in uh hello jim and len as summer approaches i've been thinking about water parks 
a few years ago, Universal opened Volcano Bay. Has Disney felt any pressure from the opening of Volcano Bay? For example, are they considering any major expansions for Blizzard Beach or Typhoon Lagoon? I'd love to hear any rumors about their water parks. Thanks. So we're actually going to do an entire thing about this uh, right after the commercial break, Jim. But uh, do you want to promo this real quick? We're going in-depth on Crush and Gusher, folks. So hang in there. Before we do, I wanted to do a quick shout-out to the folks who produced the movie The Further Adventures of Walt's Frozen Head. I think we've talked about this on the show before, but uh, it was a movie where uh, the idea was that Walt's head really was frozen and stuck underneath the Magic Kingdom. Somebody finds it and hilarity ensues. Anyway, uh, these folks have a new podcast out called World of Tomorrow. Uh, The idea being that there's this city of tomorrow in central Florida that is a technotopia of mysteries and murder. It's a podcast. Go out and look for it. It's called The World of Tomorrow. Find it on iTunes or wherever you get your normal podcasts. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We come back. The history of Crushing Gusher at Typhoon Lagoon. We'll be right back. As I mentioned for the promo for this show, bathing suit season is coming up. Mm-hmm. And that means water parks. What can you tell us about the history of my favorite roller coaster in a water park, Crushing Gusher? At Typhoon Lagoon. Nothing at Disney ever starts where you think it starts. This story actually gets started in 2002-2003. Disneyland's 50th anniversary is coming up in 2005. And the conceit at Parks and Resort decided that they wanted all of the, the Disney parks worldwide to benefit from this occasion. So that's why they came up with sort of the two-part. There was the happiest homecoming on Earth. That was the Disneyland portion of the the 50th anniversary celebration that actually started on May 5th, 2005. So 05, get it? And then it wrapped up uh, September of uh, 2006, where in Orlando, they wound up celebrating what was known as the happiest celebration on earth. And the overarching idea that they're not celebrating necessarily Disneyland Park, but the fact that 50 years ago, the Disney theme park was invented. Basically, the idea was all of the other Disney parks around the world sent presents to Disney World. Right. They send an attraction or a show or a parade or something like that, right? That's it, exactly. And and remember, this is this is before Hong Kong Disneyland uh, opens. Uh, that, that wouldn't open until September 2005. And of course, Shanghai is just a glimmer in the eye at that point, doesn't that? wouldn't open until June of 2016. So... Right. So we have Disneyland Resort in California, Tokyo Disney Sea, or Tokyo Disney Resort in Japan, and the Disney Paris Resort in France. So California Adventure sends Epcot a clone of Soranova, California. Likewise, the Magic Kingdom gets from the Tokyo Disney Resort. They get Cinderella Bration, which you know, in a lot of ways, kind of plowed the road. For the princess, the royal hall uh, that replaced Snow White's Scary Adventure. Because remember, the, the key of this show in front of Cinderella Castle was that all of the Disney princesses came out to sort of pay tribute to Cinderella and Prince Charming on the eve of their royal marriage. And then, of course, over at then Disney MGM Studios, they got uh, Disney, uh, Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris's Lights Motor Action show. Uh, again, a no-brainer. That's a studio park. This was a studio park. But it's only at this moment they're like, oh, wait a minute. What are we doing for Animal Kingdom? And it's like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Right. Oops. 
So what they end up doing is Lucky the Dinosaur. The walk-around character. We had a walk-around uh, character question not too long ago. We did. We did. And Lucky actually debuted uh, summer of 2003, made his first appearance at the LA Museum of Natural History, and then mm-hmm. made a couple of appearances at California Adventure, and then basically got pulled back to Imagineering because it was like, wow, we need to work on this thing. It's, it did, was, you ever, did you ever see it live? I did not. I did. And? It was impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, uh, it was slow moving, but mm-hmm. for the technology of the time. Right. The thing that I remember they got right, they got the gait, the movement looked like a real animal with the articulated joints, like, you know, like knees and stuff like that. And then from a distance, the skin looked like what we thought dinosaurs would look like at the time, right? Mm-hmm. I thought they got those aspects of it, right? Again, it was a little bit slow. I, I tend to think of a, of a dinosaur that size as moving approximately like a rhino, like mm-hmm. a large rhinoceros. Yeah. It wasn't quite that fast because rhinos, mm-hmm. I think, can go 30 miles an hour if yeah. my expedition or sorry, if my uh, Kilimanjaro safaris knowledge is correct, mm-hmm. 30 miles an hour. But overall, you could see where where it was going. I think these days with, you know, more lightweight materials with better actuators and things like that, especially the stuff that you've seen from the Spider-Man acrobatic mm-hmm. thing, they could probably do a much lighter, more re- even more realistic version. Yeah, no, but I saw it, uh, saw it a couple of times in the parks. I wish I had because, you know, the, the, the thing is, remember, it was dragging a flower cart where a lot of the, the tech that actually drove the thing, you know, it was hidden right. under, you know, flowers and that sort and, of thing. And now they can put it inside. I think that the thing that was especially heartbreaking is they made that decision in the for the summer of 2005 that first it would spend a few weeks that summer as part of the, the happiest celebration on Earth in Animal Kingdom which is mm-hmm. the, you know, because of all of the plants and the hottest, most humid theme park in Florida. And then they ship it off to Hong Kong, which again, sits at the edge of Penny's Bay in Hong Kong. And the Imagineers I talked with about it, it said the thing that always caused uh, Lucky to malfunction was humidity. And it's like, so yeah. you send it to the two most humid places on the planet. <laughs> and perhaps, perhaps we could, we could spray water underneath it as it walks to make it even better. <laughs> These days, you know, it, it came back and was in such a, a horrible shape at that point. Yeah. And it, and they'd also at that point pivoted away from living creature initiative. The to living, living character living, initiative. Yeah. Or yeah that, that's sorry, exactly. Yeah, Remy, living characters. Wally, yeah. that sort of thing. So, yeah. Last time Lucky was cited was actually in Leslie Iwerks' Imagineering Story, a series for or Disney+. Plus. There's a scene where uh, Joe Rohde is sort of wandering through Imagineering, and in the background under a plastic tarp is, is poor Lucky. So, <laughs> so again, they needed something for the Animal Kingdom, which they did uh, Lucky, but then it was a question of, well, okay, what about the water parks? And it's like, we don't have to do anything for River Country. That closed in November of 2001, and we finally right. admitted in January of 2005 it was closed. These things take time. <laughs> You're in denial, you know, that, or it would probably be easier to, to swim in the denial. Anyway, I, in regard to Blizzard Beach, remember, this This is just getting underway. You know, they're talking about locking in attractions for the, the 50th celebration, the Walt Disney World component, and Blizzard Beach had only opened in April of 1995. So this is late 2002, early 2003, this is still a popular water park. It's still, you know, people are still coming out to do, you know, the slides and, and to do the miniature golf component. So it's like, right. this is Winter Summerland, right? The, uh, yeah. yeah. Where is, you know, Typhoon Lagoon? It had been, you know, Walt Disney with second theme park, a water theme park opens in June of 1989 and definitely needed some TLC at this point. So this is why 
WDI management turns to Patrick Brennan. Patrick began working for Disney back in the 1980s, and he had a knack when it came to water-based attractions. He was one of the Imagineers who rode harder on the Maelstrom when that backwards flume ride was being installed at Norway in 87-88. He then transferred over to the Typhoon Lagoon installation team, you know, gets that up out of the ground for 89, and then he's off to Japan where he rides her on that theme park, Splash Mountain, which opens in October of 92. And by the time they're reaching out to Patrick now, he's just completed uh, his assignment as the director of design and production for Tokyo Disney Seas, which, again, this is a theme park full of water-based ride shows and attractions. (laughs) That's the amazing thing about the Disney Corporation, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what idea they come up Mm -hmm. with, there's probably somebody in the already in the organization who's like, oh, yeah, that I've done that. Yeah. So they go to Patrick and say, okay, what do you think? Hey, you got any ideas for new ride show attraction for Typhoon Lagoon? And, and Patrick, like all Imagineers, tries to stay current when it comes to themed entertainment. I mean, that's why you'll see Imagineers over in the Universal Parks. Conversely, you'll see members of the Universal Creative Team over at Disney doing things like checking out Galaxy's Edge. It's, it's always funny to see ride designers in, in a park that belongs to a company they don't work for. And I've, I've seen this before, right? And it's always the, the awkward head nod, almost <laughs> like, almost like you're, you're, you're in Berlin and you, you see the East German spy. <laughs> that, you know, that's right. Dude, I, yeah. know, I know what you're doing, but you know, we're not going to say anything right now, right? It's just head nod in the park, keep walking. Keep walking. <laughs> well, Patrick had been for years keeping an eye on what was going on at Schlitterbahn Water Park, which is in New oh, Brunsfeld, Texas. You were the the Schlitterbahn Parks, or oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh they've been in the news recently, right? They opened up a couple of uh, really intense uh, water slides, if I recall correctly. Okay, well uh, that is what this park is known for. In fact, yeah, they were among the the pioneers of the water park concept. Uh, they opened their first park in '79, and only Wet and Wild beat them out the gate. Mm. That opened on I Drive back in March of '77. But anyway, Schlitterbahn had this piece of technology. The Master Blaster that just fascinated Brennan. Hold on. Let me guess. Master Blaster, it is a Stevie Wonder themed <laughs> water slide. <laughs> no? Am I off, am I off oh, base? Oh, you're so close. You are just, you know. <laughs> I figured, Yeah, well, you know, I know these things, Jim. Go okay. ahead. <laughs> I know a lot about stuff. Go ahead. <laughs> but uh, in this case, what Master Blaster allowed a theme park operator to do was create a water slide attraction that thanks to the use of incredibly power water jets, could propel a raft uphill. Oh. Uh, Schlitterbahn uh, introduces technology at its uh, Texas parks back in May of 1994 with the Dragon Blaster attraction, and two years later followed it up with an even bigger, stronger attraction that at this point is just called Master Blaster. Okay. Truly exciting ride technology, one that guests genuine joy and then would go out of their way to re-experience whenever they went back to Schlitterbahn. As far as Patrick was concerned, the only problem with this tech was that Schlitterbahn wasn't using Master Blasters to its fullest advantage, that it wasn't using this tech to tell a story. Ah. Typhoon Lagoon is all about story. I mean, all of us have driven in past those Burma Shave signs of the a furious storm rolled across the sea, the whole creation myth of, of Typhoon Lagoon. And we all know about the storm that dropped Miss Tilly on top of Mount Mayday. We all know about, you know, the villagers after the storm rebuilt using the wreckage that was there to create the village that's kind of around the wave pool there. But yep. what Brennan proposes, look, what if there's a part of town 
that we haven't previously allowed guests to see or explore. That that's something that, that say lies beyond the leaning, formerly placid Palms Resort, you know, with the idea that right after the storm, this area was just such a mess that you know it's like, oh look, we'll get to that later. We'll go. Let's fix the main complex. Let's and we'll maybe in a couple of years finally getting around to to that part of it. And so that brings us to the Tropical Amity Fruit Exporters Building. If you see it today, you know, you wander through the jungle to get there. You're surrounded by overgrown fruit orchards. And, yep. you know, the idea is that a few decades ago, this rusted hulk was home to the region's leading grower and exporter of tropical fruit. And as we walk up to the structure, we see all of the equipment that was once used to clean and then move boxes of fruit around the complex, which would then be shipped out around the world. And this waterlogged building now sits at the edge of Hideaway Bay, a new body of water that you know, was actually created by the ferocity of the storm that, that created Typhoon Lagoon itself. So, rusted old building with high-pressure produce watching equipment, which... <laughs> of course. <laughs> you want to... You, 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 know, you, you, you want to wash with the, the fruit, skin. it peels it at the same time. I get there it. There we go. <laughs> okay, but again, so that, that gives you, you know, the setup for your story, the, the, the stuff that powers the rafts, uphill as they're on the crush and gusher. And, but it's always been here. It's always just been out of sight, you know, behind these overgrown orchards and and what you know, Walt Disney World executives loved about Brenner's proposal was two things. It expands the story of Typhoon Lagoon, not to mention right. the overall capacity of this water park in a logical yeah. way. And let oh. me say that ride capacity in a water park is probably the number one concern of management. I, I, I think there are many. The reason why you see so many, you see so many side-by-side mm-hmm. slides is because a typical water slide in a typical park probably has a capacity of 100 to 200 people an hour. Oh, if that. And that is, yeah. that's nothing. Yeah. 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 You know, okay. And All right. So capacity is super important in a water. Okay. Also, you know, again, this proposed technology was going to make use of pre-existing technology. So there's no way it could be GM test track revisited. Right. Okay. You know, we know taking this thing out of the box, it's going to work. But the, you mentioned the capacity thing and, and Patrick having done, dealt with the huge crowds, at the Tokyo Disney Parks, we're like, look, when we get to the top here, we're not doing one slide. We're doing three. You know, we're doing three, three right. fruit shoots. That's right. They're, I forgot to mention, they're, they're fruit themed, right? There's like, what was it pineapple, banana, and uh, something? Yeah, pineapple plunger, coconut crusher, and the banana blaster. And okay, yeah. uh, each of the slides is roughly the same, between 410, 420 feet. And all of them feature that pushed uphill thrilling sequence. So each of the water no- nozzles is shooting out 1,350 gallons a minute. You could peel a watermelon at like 50 feet, right? <laughs> and the other thing is that, that you know, if, if you pushed water through a fire hose at this speed and at this pressure, the stat they use is you could shoot a stream of water from the ground up over the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror show building. Wow. Okay. And again, the great thing about Patrick Bannon, he's a pro. So it's one of these things to defray costs. And again, hey, it's a produce, a fruit produce processing center. They reach out to Chiquita, who come on board as the the uh, the sponsor of the Crush and Gusher project. Yeah. Gets announced in two thousand four, and the beauty of it is because remember, you know that that all of the Disney water parks go down in you know the, during the winter. I, I want to say what is it? Typhoon Lagoon and Blizzard Beach sort of swap off as to you know who's yeah, down, like Novemberish to like Februaryish, depending on who's doing what yeah so, so the beauty of it is when the park is completely close to guests you can really zoom a new attraction in there so when typhoon lagoon reopened for the season on may 13th 
2005, Crush and Gusher was was ready. The, you know, so the first guest through the gate that day got to experience the attraction before it officially opened on March 16th. And again, the, the, the MC of the ceremony, Len, was Days of Our Lives star Kristen Storms. Storms, get it? Yeah. And then the first two people to experience Crush and Gusher were U.S. amateur wakeboard champions Mitchell and Spencer Connell from Nashville, Tennessee. Nice. Crush and Gutter, Gusher, huge hit right out of the bat. Guests love it. It gets top marks from, you know, survey work in the park. So Disney immediately was yep. like, where else can we use this water coaster technology? Jump ahead to 2007, which is when the Disney Cruise Line begins designing the next two ships of the line. Oh, I know where you're going with this. There you oh, go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, the Disney Dream, which uh, launches in January of 2011, and the Disney Fantasy, which opens in uh, February, or which launches in uh, February 2012. Uh, and of course, what's a much advertised special feature of both of these boats? The Aqueduct. Right. Oh, I, I never put those two together until now. Yeah. Oh, great story. But uh, the, the interesting thing, though, is that, you know, when we talk about the Aqueduct, you're not in a situation where you can do three slides. You know, you can bar- you barely have room for the one. Well, there's, there are also fewer people on, in a, uh, on a cruise ship. This is true. This is true. Yeah. Although the, the, there, there are still lines, like on a, on a nice warm day, like around, you know, 11 o'clock or so. Mm-hmm. There are still lines for the aqueduct. You think about everything that got created for Walt Disney World's happiest celebration on Earth. Okay, we still have the Soaring Theater in place. In fact, May of 2016 actually expanded. But we can no longer see the Soaring Over California ride film. We've got Soaring Over the World. Lucky the Dinosaurs under a tarp at 1401 Flower Street. Cinderella Bration ended on uh, September 16th, 2006. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Lights Motor Action got pulled down uh, April 2016 to make way for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So, again, the of all those, the only rideshare attraction that was deliberately built for Disney World's happiest celebration on Earth that's still with us is Crush and Gusher. That's a great story, Jim. So, I try. We learn something about ourselves, each other, <laughs> water parks. You know, if you really want to peel a watermelon from 30 yards away. Like, <laughs> yeah, just go, go into Typhoon Lagoon after the park closes. Flip a couple of switches. There you go. <laughs> wow, good story, Jim. Really good. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. There's a new exclusive episode out that you won't hear on iTunes uh, about how Disney used to train cast members to be characters like Mickey Mouse. And you can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me at touringplans.com. On next week's show, Jim tells us what Disney's thinking about the future of the Muppets. And we'll have another exclusive Bandcamp show for subscribers about Walt Disney World's never-built residential community. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's representing Clan Adams in the jousting tournament at next weekend's New Mexico Renaissance Celtic Festival in beautiful downtown Albuquerque. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.